0: You have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Yahoo my friend, Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 14 of the Dramatic Travels podcast. My featured guest today is Dory Simon. Dory is a filmmaker and a producer. Dory and I talked about a lot of great topics, including her latest film for Matador Network called In Her Shoes. And you can learn more about Dory Simon at Dorysimon.com or on Instagram at Dorysimon. My friend, I really appreciate you tuning in and for all the support you've shown over these first 14 episodes of Dramatic Travels, and I'd like to ask just a small favor, and that favor is feedback. My mission for the Dramatic Travels podcast is to share the transformational power of travel, to inspire parents to travel with their kids, and to provide parents with the resources and support to make their family's travel dreams come true. I'd love it if you drop me a line. Aaron at DramaticTravels.com and just let me know how I'm doing. This show is for you, my friends, and I'd love to know what you like, what you don't like, what you're enjoying and what you could do without. I want to make this show better every week and you're a huge part of that. I want that feedback so I can deliver this type of show that you need. And if you're game, I would even love to jump on just a quick Skype call with you just for a few minutes. We can chat about what you need from this podcast so I can do my best to offer it up for you week after week. Again, shoot me an email, Aaron at DramaticTravels.com. All right, my friend, let's get off and running with today's featured guest. Here's my chat with Dory Simon. Enjoy. Dramatic Travels family, I am thrilled to introduce you to today's featured guest, Dory Simon. Dory, are you ready to share your Dramatic Travels?
1: I am so stoked to share my Dramatic Travels. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you very much.
0: All right, me too. Dory is a filmmaker and producer whose passion projects focus on cause-related content, mostly documentaries, Dory also manages a relatively large team of producers and filmmakers within the media house at Matador Network, a travel content company. So Dory, that is your official bio. Please take a minute, expand on your personal and business life. Tell us about your world.
1: Okay, so yeah, I uh, I guess I'll kind of get through the Matador stuff first because it leads into what I'm working on documentary wise at the moment as well. So I started with Matador. As a freelancer, I previously had been freelancing in the film industry for a while, went to school for film, uh, worked on all kinds of projects, but really have a passion for truth and storytelling in a journalistic capacity. And so documentaries are a natural fit for me. I had been freelancing for a long time, um, not necessarily looking for regular work. And Matador at the time was growing. This is about two years ago. And well, they were just asking me to come on for little projects here and there. And it turned into what is basically now a a full-time job. So we have um, a really large media team and we're, we just restructured as of this week and we're adding about 10 new people in the next six months. So uh, it's a little bit weird for me because I'm used to being maybe on more of the filmmaker side of things, but right now I'm, I'm kind of overseeing the whole program. but um, the exciting and most exciting part of it for me is working on our original content. And so we're really expanding the original content to include diverse videos that we want to see. So as opposed to just the branded stuff, which we also like to work on, um, and it's certainly you know not a bad way to make money for us. It's you know, the original content is what we are all excited to do as filmmakers and I have a project that I'm producing and directing and hosting. So that's kind of my little baby at the moment.
0: What's that? What was that like for you going from, you know, fully behind the camera on the creative side to, to shifting at least a little bit towards, towards the business side?
1: Uh, Well, I've always produced uh, in addition to filmmaking. So, you know, to actually kind of working with the crew. So it wasn't so much a transition for me, but it's a transition to work, with a company regularly and be on a team regularly, as opposed to my projects changing week to week and my crew changing week to week, and it's exciting. But there, I think there are pros and cons to it. Like I miss, I miss uh, working on all different types of projects. But I also really like having an easier kind of lifestyle. Yeah, that's and steady. it's easier. Yeah, steadier.
0: Yeah, steady, steady paycheck never hurt anybody. Totally exactly. get it. Well, let's, we're going to dive much deeper into to all the stuff you're doing uh, on both sides of the camera with Matador. But first, I want to take a minute and, and just get to know you as a person before we kind of dive into you know, your, your professional life and, and your projects. And I always like to ask people, especially you know, inspirational travelers like yourself, about their earliest travel memories. Where did it all start for you? Just, can you engage those, those emotional memories and tell us about your, your earliest travel experience?
1: Sure. And I think this is much more interesting to talk about than most of my career right now, just so you know. So I'm excited to talk about this. So my first, the first trip I went on internationally, was to Ireland with my family when I was in second grade. And it was beautiful. My entire family on my mom's side um, went because she, well, her parents are from there. And then she spent some time growing up in Ireland. So Lot of history there with family members. We got to visit um, farms that my family's run. And I think I, I often come back to this kind of nostalgic time that I, I find now more when I'm staying in Airbnbs, less if I'm in hotels, but where my family rented out a farm and we're living in somebody else's house in Ireland, kind of like beating the barn cats and, you know, eating the local food. And it was the first time I ever spent, and I was very young, you know, but it was the first time I ever spent kind of living in another culture. Um, fast forward to my college experience. I, I wanted to study abroad. So I did, (laughs) I studied abroad in Rome and within the first day, I felt like I had finally found my tribe. And that was something I hadn't felt before in my life. Like I always had Good friends, but I never had a really great group of friends and I'm still, you know, in what I consider a great group of friends with the people that I just spent one semester with abroad.
0: I can totally relate to that feeling. I've told a story on the podcast before about a, a trip I took when I was thirteen with my grandmother to to Soviet Russia. It was nineteen ninety, just before communism fell. And I remember coming back, I was in I was in seventh grade and just kind of looking around at this landscape that had been so familiar and suddenly I felt like I had changed inside somehow and my friends were still my friends, but I felt like I had evolved and somehow that, and everyone else had just sort of stayed the same. So, and then you talked about that. I, I, I think that's what you meant by talking about how you found this tribe later in life uh, that maybe shared those similar inspirations and aspirations that you did.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I guess I should say one, one other thing before I really dive into the study abroad section, which is that I grew up watching Survivor, which not that many people know is still on, but has a serious community. It's still like my favorite show. I watch it. I'm diehard. And I'm still trying to get on. Um, They don't really want to cast me because I'm a documentary filmmaker. And, you know, the producers are also kind of documentary filmmakers in the way they kind of ask questions and want to interview and, Anyway,
0: you think you're gonna, they, they think you're gonna have some like inside dope on how to beat the system because you're you're one of them. What's the story there?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, what they've told me is that because I've I've been through the through the audition process multiple times. I've been a finalist a few times, and it's basically like, yeah, you know, the producers essentially are making a documentary, that's how they see it. And they feel like I'll be able to work around their questions. And, you know, I do think that when I'm on the other side of this, I'm a good interviewer. Um, I don't know if I'm a great interviewee, but that's, you know, it's what I do regularly. So it's, I don't, I feel like it's a good thing because I can work and I can articulate, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they just have a reason maybe they're not saying, but I'm not done trying. I still audition every season, like every year when they're doing casting.
0: Well, here's what we're going to do. When we're done here, you're going to send me a link or an email address, some way to get in touch with these survivor people. And Dramatic Travels family, we are going to run a Get Dory on Survivor campaign. It's all (laughs) going to happen. Just We're going to link that up in the show notes. I'm not kidding. Dory, it's happening. Thanks,
1: guys. Well, thanks. Thanks. I'm a 100% down for that plan. Anyone who supports my journey here is Excited. I'm excited to work with that. Um, but
0: I think yeah, this is so as far I, as I've ever digressed on this show and I love it.
1: <laughs> I am this kind of person. I'm sorry about
0: it. I better clear my afternoon because this conversation place. could last a while.
1: Well, I can breeze over the Survivor part, but basically I grew up watching Survivor and they I mean all of the takeaways that people have after that show is are really about having been out of their element and you know, been basically broken down and completely raw and they're in a new place and they get to experience part of the culture of that new place with new people. And I think that regardless of whether I get on to Survivor, I've built that experience for myself through traveling. And it's kind of been fueled by my interest in Survivor. Like that was kind of what made me want to travel in the first place, but it led to a career that has now become so different than I thought it would be when I was younger. So, um, yeah, led me to studying abroad, kind of found my tribe, and took full advantage of my time in Europe for that semester. Um, I ended up—I I do have a story if you want to hear it about the end of that trip because it really changed me as a person. I think
0: anything that changed you as a person—that's those are the types of moments that I go for on this show, and I would be remiss if I didn't allow you to tell that story. Fire away.
1: Okay. So I had been traveling just to travel for a while and I was interested in making films just to make films. I didn't have a preference. I was just kind of interested in all types of travel, all types of filmmaking. And on the very last part of my last leg of that semester, I went to Israel and Egypt, uh, with a group of friends and we were, you know, kind of road tripping through Israel when we went into, um, well, we went into Palestine and we had a taxi driver, uh, who was charging us practically nothing for the entire day to take us around. Um, we had just found him right at the border. We walked across the border and he took us around and throughout the day we got to know him a little bit and he was only a few years older than us, but the wall had been up since he was 19 years old that separated basically him from the entire outside world. His passport was no longer you know, able to bring him almost anywhere. He was, um, his family was unable to make money the way they used to make money. That's why he was driving a taxi instead of, I I don't remember what he was going to do otherwise, but instead of doing what he wanted to do otherwise. And it became, um, like this huge day for us. And at the end of the day, he asked us if we wanted to go have tea at his mother's house and keep in mind, I'm still like, Pretty young, uh, you know, I, I hadn't ever done something like that. Like, it's one thing to be in a taxi, it's another thing to go to somebody's house. I'm thinking of what my parents would say and all of the stereotypes that come along with, you know, traveling in an unknown area of the world and culture. And, uh, but we took him up on it. And I have very few memories stronger than sitting on his mother's porch there in Bethlehem, uh, watching, you know, sky and talking about his kind of limitations in life and you know because of re- religious and political reasons and i was sitting there thinking wow i'm i mean i was certainly feeling really lucky because i had you know he was talking about that he just wanted to go to paris and he just wanted to go to new york city and he wanted to travel and i had just been to paris and i was about to move to new york city where i then lived for the next almost 10 years and um it was eye opening and I eventually wrote a little crappy article about him. I didn't think it was crappy at the time, but, um, and I think it really was the first time that I was inspired to like tell other people's stories because I came back talking about that man nonstop to my family and telling them about the differences between us and how it made me feel like the world is so much smaller than we realize, you know, and that you can connect with people who you might think you have nothing in common with. Um, and I think it ultimately led to me wanting to make documentaries.
0: I just find it fascinating when you just consider that the exchange that you had with this young man and his family, just imagining what they might have the stories they might have told about you later on, and probably the inspiration oh this this American woman came through and she told us the stories of her travels, and she'd been to all these beautiful places that we wanted to go and they they may speak of you in that same kind of inspirational tone that you speak of them and just hearing about their, their everyday life. And I just find that fascinating. I just love it. And just the kindness that you find in every corner of the world. I just love stories like that because there, there are kind people in absolutely every corner of planet Earth. And I encourage people, get out there and find them. This world is not as scary as we're led to believe. And that's a huge obstacle for, for travel, whether it's traveling by yourself or traveling with your kids. And if I can do anything any small part to break down those barriers and eliminate that fear, then I've done my job and you as well, Dory. I really commend you for for your work and for sharing that story. Cause if it just helps one person, then that's a win as far as I'm concerned.
1: Cool. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that, um, I agree. There are so many kind people everywhere you go. And that was really the inspiration for the series that I'm working on in her shoes, because it was like, I can connect with the, with women, everywhere I go. I find kind, kind people and open hearts everywhere I go, but where it's like in America, especially, I feel like we're afraid to talk about certain things or we don't understand it or it's sad. So we don't want to watch it. And, you know, I'm trying to make my work be something that people want to watch so and to focus on the positive aspects of people's lives instead of just the kind of caricatures that we see in media so often, which are like, uh, you know, The poor people are represented as just poor. You don't see the other part of their lives or you might see, well, oh, wow, everybody's so happy. Every, uh, you know, they're the poorest people in the world, but they're so happy, but it's all, it's still a character to a degree. We don't get into the dynamic personalities that all humans have. So that's what I'm trying to do.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And you did an unbelievable job in your, in her shoes documentary about a young woman, a 17 year old woman, Ronnie in India where you painted this this wonderful picture and you you humanized her in such a way that this story this this potentially very unrelatable for for people in our country she was the child of a sex worker living in a a house where they're educated and also offered therapy to help them just help them progress their lives fill in any any blanks here where i'm i'm summarizing the best that i can you made such an effort in this 17 minute or so video to to paint her as a human being and like get us inside of her of her world and then all of a sudden all this these things these kind of horrible tragic things that happen in her life suddenly become more relatable because we understand her as a a person i think you did a killer job there Thank you so much. One thing I want to ask you, uh, sorry, uh, before we just kind of turn the page on, on your, your kind of your childhood, I wanted, is there a link you think, what's the link you think between that, that inspirational trip you described when you were in second grade to Ireland, and then you talked about always wanting to, you know, you knew you always knew you wanted to travel and eventually study abroad. Do you think there's a link between those two and what went on in those, like those intermittent years? Yeah. Well, the
1: link is Survivor, obviously. No, oh,
0: I'm i, possibly, I left on Survivor, my apologies. <laughs> no, Survivor is
1: not a real thing. It's basically just a TV show I watch. I mean, it's a real thing I want, but I haven't been on it, so I can't talk about it like it's been a real, real, real thing. But no, I think that to to actually answer your question, I feel like the link is is that I you know for me it's that I I crave connection with the outside world, and I. The first times that I found myself alone in a new place, alone in a new city, or even just separating myself from my friends, you know, the, I, the feeling of, wow, I'm, I'm me and I'm young at the time, especially, and I'm by myself in the world. It's like, who am I? When you aren't defined by all of the other people around you, you get to finally realize that you can define yourself. And I think some people do realize that without travel. But it's the biggest takeaway I feel every time I go on a trip, just finding myself again and again and again, the more I kind of challenge my surroundings and introduce myself to new places and people and things.
0: totally agree and and reflecting on sometimes those those more challenging or you know, moments of adversity those are the those end up being the kind of the shiniest moments the ones that when you get home and you start reflecting on on your experiences and those experiences it becomes an addiction you crave those sort of out of your element outside of your comfort zone experiences and that's again that's those are the sorts of experiences that I encourage my listeners to to seek out and to overcome those barriers and get out there and see this world and learn oh my gosh I mean you learn about the world of course but you learn just as much if not more about yourself and that was what I one of the things I got from your story just now. So thanks again for, for of course, for sharing that. Another question that i I like to ask all my guests is about low moments from your travel travels. we kind of talked a little bit about challenging moments and obstacles and things you learn from. Can you take us to a moment in your travels just the lowest of the low and something that really rocked you and then what you learned from it?
1: Sure. So this is actually pretty recent. and when Uh, And it happened when we were shooting in her shoes, the series that I've been talking about. So um, I have a lot of anxiety on a regular basis, but I do a lot of maintenance and I take care of myself. And it usually, in fact, I I don't think it really ever affects my day to day work um, other than making me a maybe, you know, retentive person, (laughs) but it's not, it's never been a bad thing for me. But through the process of filming in her shoes, I, I was faced with a lot of new moments. So, first of all, I was working with girls who have experienced major, major trauma in their lives. From sexual abuse to um, being trafficked into sex work. And now they work at this, I'm sorry, they they live at uh, a shelter for girls who are rescued from that lifestyle and none of them are too young. I, Ronnie was the youngest. So she's 17, but, um, basically everybody was dealing with really heavy subject matter and they were opening their hearts and opening their stories to me. And then I had the responsibility to sorry, hitting my microphone. Uh, and then I had the responsibility to tell their stories and especially Ronnie's. And so as much as I, I spent some time with them before we had the cameras rolling, we didn't have that much time to work together to get to know each other. <clears throat> and then throughout the week, uh, we were, I was there for about 10 days. Um, I think that was weighing heavily on me, just the responsibility of telling, telling people stories and in, in the film format where really I could choose to frame it any way I want, you know, and... I wanted to be as honest and and respectful of their stories as I could be. Um, on top of that, we were just running crazy hours, and the last few nights slept literally under you know two hours each night. The final night, we slept for I think I slept for twenty five minutes just to get a quick nap in because it was just two of us on the ground, and I went you know we were downloading footage and organizing it all night, looking at everything we had. Um, So it was was tough. And the last day, we had saved a few interviews for the last day, and I was the host, of course, I'm on camera, and I had to do my takeaway. And you know, I'd be interested in how, like, your what your thoughts are on this because you, of course, host something and you need to prepare yourself. And when you are kind of on the spot, I mean, usually that's a that's a nice place to be because you can give a natural response, but I was digesting so much with the brain power of a slug. You know, I was I was taking on in all of this information, working through so many new experiences with the girls, finally feeling like the story was formed, but I almost wanted just a day to script my takeaway. And I didn't have the opportunity to do that. And I was, you know, first time host, millionth time filmmaker. Like i I've done this before, but not as the host. And so it was a different kind of pressure. And as we led into the last, uh, that last shot when I was going to do my takeaway, we ended up we were doing it in the stairwell because we all the girls keep their shoes outside of the the house where they live, um, which is a six floor walk up, six story walk up or something. And I was sitting there trying to think of my takeaway, and we accidentally locked ourselves out of the house and locked oh, no. their keys, the only keys that they had for the entire group inside the house and none of them were there. They had trusted me with the keys. They had said, go back, shoot what you need to get your stuff. And they were all, meanwhile, they're volunteering at a, at a hospice for children, for kids, you know? So I'm like, Oh, they're just such great people. And here I am walking them out of their own house. And, and I, and then the lights went out and it was dark. The sun was setting and it was just, all the things coming at us at once. And I, I didn't even realize until afterwards, which is sometimes how anxiety works, but I, I had a straight up panic attack during those moments and we have it on camera and good audio, which you can listen to separately where I'm, I wasn't freaking out, you know, I'm not being erratic. I'm, I'm basically like breathing heavily and repeating the same things. Like, I just don't know what to say or trying to do my outro and messing it up every time. And it was just, it was just, It doesn't sound like a normal traveler's low, low. You know, it's not like, oh man, I had no money left and I was just stuck on the side of the road. But for me, it was this culmination of basically every story I've ever wanted to tell in my travel is like, this is the first one I'm really telling and I'm hosting and I'm doing it. And here I am and I can't follow through. And my anxiety, and it wasn't until later that I realized, oh, my anxiety is what held me back there, slash, not sleeping and all the other things. But um. yeah, for me, that's my lowest low. And you know what, it worked out great. We don't have an on camera outro with me saying like, goodbye to the camera. But I think that it still worked out well. And actually, the girls came home, we weren't locked out, we just didn't know how to get in the right way. They had like two doors. Um, the lights turned back on. And the ending shots of the film are me hugging them. And I was really aware that I didn't kind of want to be that person crying on camera because you know no matter what as a storyteller when you're faced with the responsibility and the honor of being able to tell somebody else's stories, you might be affected by it. But as a journalist, you don't want to be crying and showing too much emotion and, you know, on camera especially. And um I was kind of aware of that. So trying not to face the camera, but still be able to say goodbye to them because it was an authentic goodbye. I wasn't going to see them again. And we ended up using the footage. And uh, I don't think you can tell I'm crying.
0: I didn't, I didn't pick that up, but you can guarantee I'm going to go back and check it out again. But you know what? You you said you know that's like a non-traditional low moment, but I don't think there really is such a thing. I love hearing all those different stories because things affect everybody differently, and emotions run high, and everybody's personalities are different, and certain people they're just nothing affects them, and then other people have different sorts of triggers, and that's I want to through the course of this podcast, guest after guest. Go through the types of things that can and do happen in travel, but also with the takeaway that we live to tell the tale. And that you're a better person for it. Talking about you know the different things that are, are that people fear, but also talking about the different things that inspire people to travel or to to live the life that they live. You just never know where that inspiration is going to come from. And that was again another one of the reasons I started this podcast to hear those sorts of stories because I know my story and I love my story, but it's just you know one of millions of travel inspiration origin stories. And I I just love you know that hearing your story about traveling as a kid and then sprinkle some survivor in there. And next thing you know, you're in India hosting and producing these wonderful films. It's just so cool to know that this, these sorts of experiences are out there and to be able to share those with my listeners. Cause they're, they're so valuable. It just really lets people know what there is in this world to experience. These people that are, that are there to, to meet and engage with. We live in the best time ever to connect with people all over the world. And that's actually another question I wanted to ask you about your time in India, because throughout the, the film, there's conversation about social media and the girls all have phones and they're using Instagram. I interviewed a, a guy last week who went on at great length about a trip to Nepal and talking about the impact social media has, even on like the poorest of the poor third world countries and how people can share their stories or personal stories through, through Instagram and even develop some influence that can actually... Improve their situation financially. Have you witnessed anything like this? Well, first of all, I think that's
1: fascinating because I, I I see it too, and I just love to see it, and especially seeing it in young girls like the girls in India. It was just incredible. I don't know if I've seen. Um, well, I guess I mean certainly I've seen social media affect loads of organizations and be able to get stories out there. I wouldn't have found the organization that I worked with in India had it not been for Facebook. So they basically, four years ago, when I was starting to research this project, they had a Facebook page and now they have a website and they have, you know, some videos on YouTube, but they basically just had a Facebook page at the time. And I was looking for women's empowerment efforts uh, around the world. And I came across Kranti and they basically, you know, rely on grants and they do a lot of, of grant uh, applications, but they also rely on people just kind of supporting them from around the world. And so stories like the one I told or the other ones that they have out there can help kind of get funding for the girls to be able to go to therapy, get, get educated, um, be hosted in the United States. Like some of those girls have come to the United States and lived with families here and gone to school here. Uh, you know, right. Like that's, I mean, th- one of the girls in, in Kranty, this organization was, I at least the the newspapers covered it as the first girl from a red light area from the red light area in Mumbai, Kamathipura, to be college, you know, college educated in the United States. Uh, so oh. really big deal. Yeah. That and that's not, deal. yeah, it's not all due to social media. Of course, it's due to the incredible hard work that the people who run that organization put in. Um, but at the same time, Social media is like free publicity and people love, you know, I, 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 not people necessarily, but I think a lot of people and I in particular love hearing about what kinds of new initiatives are being taken taken on for people and, you know, new creative ways to help people. And Kranty in particular is a, is a creative kind of solution to these, the problems that these girls face.
0: You know, well, there's there's rarely a silver bullet to solving these big world problems, but like the, as you told that story, it was just these tiny little victories, one after another, that added up to these huge results. You know, you can't say, oh, this was just because of Facebook or just because of Instagram, but it played a, an integral part that connected one person to another person, and you know, you follow the chain of events down the line, and you have a young lady from a red light district in India being college educated in the United States. And then you you can trace that back. What college did she go to? Do you know?
1: Ooh, I don't know off the top of my head. It wasn't Ronnie. It was one of the older girls who's there. Um, I would have to look it up. Sorry.
0: Just, that was just satisfying my own own curiosity more, yeah. more than anything.
1: I don't know, but other girls have since been educated here too. So, I mean, I could find out which one she went to, but a bunch of them have have come to the United States and and gotten some uh, some schooling here, even if it was just for a semester.
0: Yeah, I'd love to be able to link up to any any other stories to to go along with the in your shoes documentary. Link it up in the show notes so so people can can follow up and check in on on these girls as they've uh, progressed since the documentary. Super interesting stuff.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely send you that. Um, and I know Kranti. Just to kind of like throw this out there because I always like to tell people, Kranti takes. Um, I mean, they take financial donations and they also they'll take basically anything that you would think a bunch of like teenage and young, you know, girls in their early 20s would need like shampoo or, you know, so without diving into the details, you can see it on their site. But they uh, yeah, they take donations. So if anybody is inspired by the film and wants to kind of help the girls who live
0: there, there are plenty of ways to do that. The list of links on Dory's show notes page is getting longer by the second, but it's all great stuff. We're going to have this all for you. And I definitely (laughs) encourage you to check it out because so inspiring, so cool. And it's so again, like 2018, it's never been easier to help to lend a helping hand anywhere around the world, even if it's just something as simple as shampoo as Dory. said. I mean, those are things we clearly take for granted. You know, we give them away free samples and we throw them in the garbage on the way out the store and that could make someone's day. It's it's yeah. it's like seriously I'm wearing a sweatshirt, but kinda of goosebumpy, just thinking about the sorts of impact we can have and I hope this conversation that we're having today uh, reaches a set of ears that will take some action and, and help out this wonderful cause and be a an agent for good in the world here. Alright, my friend, I hope you enjoyed this part one of my chat with Dory Simon. Be sure to check out part two, which will be live tomorrow morning. If you're listening to this the day it goes live, if not, that means part two is live right now. So go ahead and check it out and definitely head over to Dramatic Travels, check out the show notes, and also be sure to check out the Facebook community, the Dramatic Travels Family. There's a link to the Dramatic Travels Family Facebook group right there at the top of the home page, bright yellow banner. Can't miss it. We'd love to have you on board. Please check it out. All right, my friend, we're going to see you bright and early tomorrow morning with episode two or part two of my chat with dory simon we'll see you there bye